My name is Aurora Shrek. I'm the hostess of the Will to Wife podcast. I'm Roman Catholic. I love to sew and read and sing. I work part-time from home as a webmaster and volunteer as a retreat organizer. The diploma says I'm a chef, but I'm also an author, a homemaker, a musician, a marriage advocate. I'm an oldest sister, an oldest daughter, a mom of three and counting. But first and foremost, I am a wife. Our world is in desperate need of saintly wives. I think there's this misconception among married women that being a saintly wife is automatically knocked off the to-do list by focusing on being a saintly mom. But you know, the reality is that our responsibilities to our husband are acutely distinct from our responsibilities to our children. And too often our husband is the one who is neglected. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, following paragraph 1533, which establishes baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist as the sacraments of Christian initiation, paragraph 1534 reads, Two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, are directed towards the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. They confer a particular mission in the church and serve to build up the people of God. End quote. Why am I starting this podcast? Um, well, to be honest, it's because I've come to the awful conclusion that many who consider themselves to be faithful, practicing, even Orthodox Catholics, have either never been taught this, or have forgotten about it, or have deliberately rejected it, which I see with, um, specifically with those who are struggling in their marriage, or feel that their marriage is struggling. I know that when I was at the lowest point in my marriage, where I was living in daily fear of divorce, and mustering up what I thought might be the strength I would end up needing to potentially raise two children as a single mother. I was fortunate that my immediate family did stand for my marriage, and they loved and respected my husband when I failed to do so. But from outside of my marriage, from so many resources and communities that I thought I should be able to trust as solidly Catholic, I received a ton of terrible advice. And that advice I received could be summed up in these two variations. The first was, you're really married to Christ, and when your husband isn't imitating him, you just need to focus on Christ. And the second piece of advice, which is very similar, is just focus on your own journey to heaven. It's your husband's fault if he's not walking next to you. Now, first of all, this claim that you're really married to Christ is heresy. It's downright heretical. If this were true, then the consecrated life and the married life would not be two distinctly different vocations with distinctly different vows. But I think more importantly, the reason that people get away with giving this kind of advice and the reason that 
I was almost blinded entirely by it myself was because of the partial truth in these pieces of advice. That when our husband is being difficult, we, when we perceive that he's being difficult, we should draw our strength from Christ. And also the truth that our husband is certainly his own person. He's got his own free will. He can choose to walk away from Christ instead of towards him. All of that is true. But what makes both of these pieces of advice terrible advice, aside from the heresy in the first, which should be enough, is that the language of it advocates for an indifference, an apathy towards my husband's salvation. As if when he's being what I perceive to be too difficult, that I'm permitted to give up on him. I almost fell for it. Even though I had been raised with a solid understanding of the vocation of marriage as ordered towards the salvation of the other, as we just read from the catechism, I reached a point where I was so tired and so angry and so bitter and so resentful that the thought that God might give me permission to focus entirely on myself and on my children was at that time music to my ears. But this is not only a very dangerous mindset to fall into, it's objectively sinful for me as a wife. And on that point, I I beg God to have mercy on many priests even who told me that I needed to think of myself and my kids and get myself out of a toxic situation. A tangent here real quick. The church fully supports the physical separation of spouses if there is objective physical danger. So let's be clear about my situation, which I'm talking about here. I was not being physically abused. My husband was not being cruel or ungentle with his children. And that means that priests should not have been giving me this kind of advice. I was in a difficult and painful situation. Um, I can say that objectively, and I say that with my husband's full knowledge and support and permission to be talking about it. But I was not in an objectively, physically dangerous relationship. I was in a valid marriage going through an exceptionally rough time. Apparently, exceptional enough that multiple priests felt that they were helping me by encouraging me to remove myself from what they called a toxic situation. We were dealing with undiagnosed, debilitating mental health, multiple addictions, um, unemployment for my husband within the first few months of our marriage, postpartum depression compounded with the exhaustion of a very close second pregnancy. Our first two kids are just 15 months apart. And these priests stating that I might have grounds for annulment and that my husband wasn't capable of having a healthy relationship with me, I'm really very disappointed in them knowing what I know now. I never agreed with them that there might be grounds for annulment because I went into my marriage with full knowledge of my husband's struggles, with total transparency between us, and a conviction that there were crosses ahead that I was absolutely called to help him bear and vice versa. And I don't think my experience is an uncommon one. I think that many women know what crosses they're saying yes to, and they say yes because they're strong in their love and in their hope going in. And then afterwards, they say, as I did, I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Uh, the second, second quick tangential point, if you are in any other type of relationship 
any relationship other than marriage and you've discerned that that relationship is toxic, walking away from a person can be a very healthy response. Saying to yourself, I'm not going to waste time, energy, brain space on someone who doesn't care about my well-being can be a very healthy response. If you have a close friend of 10 or 20 years who suddenly stabs you in the back, you're commanded to forgive them, but you're not commanded to open yourself up to them again. And I'll come back to this point. So let me reread that paragraph from the Catechism. Again, this is paragraph 1534. Two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, are directed towards the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. They confer a particular mission in the church and serve to build up the people of God. Ladies, if you're called to marriage, then what God has willed for you is that you cannot get to heaven without your husband. You'll notice in the Catechism that the same statement is applied to holy orders. So let's talk about that. If a priest turns his back on his flock, the bride of Christ to whom he is vowed, do you excuse him? Do you say that it's understandable because of how sinful and faithless his bride is? You know, if he stops offering the sacrament of reconciliation because he just gets so fed up with the fact that his flock is is coming to him with the exact same sins, would you excuse him for that? No, you would call that priest sinful and faithless for breaking his vows, for abandoning his post when the bride was in her greatest need. Think of those two pieces of advice um, that, that I just shared. What if priests said those things to each other? What if they said, when the faithful are failing to imitate Christ, you just need to focus on Christ and just focus on your own journey to heaven, and it's their fault if they don't get there. Again, partial truth, that the priest draws his strength from Christ, and that each of us, as members, uh, members of his flock, have our own free will, and ultimately, it is our fault if we still choose hell over heaven. But for a priest to allow himself to have um, an attitude of apathy or indifference towards us as we struggle through this life, that's a thoroughly condemnable attitude. The priest has vowed to pour out his entire being in service to the bride of Christ. If he wasn't prepared to do that, he shouldn't have become a priest. And when he gives what you perceive to be less than his whole self, you don't make excuses for him. You acknowledge his human limitations. You understand his need for rest, for time alone with God, for refreshment in both body and soul. But if he is deliberately and actively apathetic or indifferent towards the salvation of souls, you would see that and you would despise it. Not only because it's ugly and selfish, but precisely because it is faithlessness on his part. In short, he cannot get to heaven except through pouring out his life for the flock because that is what he has vowed to do. So I'm going to say that again. If you are called to marriage, then what God has willed for you is that you cannot get to heaven without your husband. Whether he's easy to live with or very difficult to bear, whether you have only small annoyances from time to time or your heart is shattered over this person. 
in the course of your marriage. The Lord has willed that whatever comes your way due to being married to this fallen human man is precisely what you need in order to be sanctified. If you're married, your faithfulness to Christ consists precisely in cleaving to your spouse. This is what you vow to do. Your faithfulness in Christ will be measured objectively by the excellence of the service that you render unto your husband. This is the service that you vowed to render un unto him at the altar before Almighty God and his church. My marriage was saved because there were people who were brave enough to say this to me, and I know that at the time it was the last thing that I wanted to hear. Going back to an earlier point about other types of relationships which turn toxic, what makes all the difference in the world are your marriage vows. This is not just a friend. This is not just another brother in Christ. This is someone to whom you are bound with vows. There are walls that you literally cannot put up anymore. Walls that have been ruptured by the sacrament of matrimony for both of your sakes. This is why it says right there in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, quote, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. You can never stop being one flesh again. Any more than Jesus can leave the Trinity. You are two persons in one flesh, just as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons in one God. Now, it's true that the Catechism refers in a general way, again in paragraph 1534, to, quote, service to others, okay? But there is only one other, which is consistent to every single marriage, and that is your spouse. Everyone else that passes through your life as a direct result of your marriage, none of them are promised to pass through. Children, extended family, close friends and colleagues with whom you come into contact because of your spouse, the potential presence of any of these persons is variable to every marriage. You might expect to care for in-laws, you might hope and plan for children, but none of them are promised. None of them stood up with you at the altar, which means that the service you render unto any of these others cannot replace or outweigh the service you vowed to render unto your husband. On the subject of children, which too many women make the mistake of putting on the same level as their husband or even above him, Genesis 2.24 also applies to your children. They are on loan to you for a short time only. They are also called to leave you and to cleave to someone else, whether that's to Christ in the consecrated life or to another human being in their own sacrament of matrimony. The other to whom your child cleaves is their primary help towards heaven, and your responsibility towards your child actually consists of helping them find that other who is supposed to be their primary help not to hold them back and insist on being a wife to them as well. This is a service, this wifely service, that you have vowed to one man and to one man only. Now, much of what I'm going to say in this podcast, I, I very much realize will fall on deaf ears of hurting people, and I cannot blame them. I've been among them for a time. And it's a strange thing that I've noticed that women who are struggling don't want to hear from women who have gotten past the struggle. For example, women who are struggling with infertility don't want to hear from women who have had their miracle babies. 
It's almost as if no matter how long and hard the struggle was, that struggle is suddenly invalidated once it's overcome. And it's a very sad thing because the women who, like myself, struggled with infertility for almost a decade, spent months learning how to chart our cycles through a method like Creighton, spent years under the care of a napro doctor reading the signs and getting blood tested multiple times a month, had multiple surgeries for endometriosis or other conditions, have had miracle babies, and have turned a marriage around from rock bottom to safe, happy, healthy, and thriving. Women like myself, we just desperately want to give hope to others. But I remember well that what really was holding me back in my lowest times from drinking in that hope that other women wanted to give me was this fear that I didn't have what it took to dig myself out of the hole that I felt I had sunk into. The reality, though, is that none of us enters into our vocation of marriage as saints. We all bring something into our marriage that has the potential to hurt our spouse, which means that when the going gets tough, it doesn't matter who, quote, started it. There's no point to counting or tallying or keeping score anymore. You're in this together. You cannot separate your struggle from each other. You will bear the consequences of each other's sins, but you will also benefit from each other's triumphs. When there is struggle in a marriage, it's a dynamic. It can never be considered a pain that one spouse imposes upon the other while the offended spouse remains neutral. Marriage is a dance. You can dance towards each other or away from each other, but your vows have bound you to the dance floor. You don't have the option of opting out. My hope then, if my words here are too hard for some because of whatever struggle they may be in the middle of, that these words will reach those who are still in their honeymoon or newlywed phase. And to them, I offer this challenge to begin rightly and to journey with me in seeking to deepen our understanding and appreciation for the breadth and depth and beauty of our vocation. Welcome to The Will to Wife. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm -hmm.